Welcome to Between Two Barrels, a twice-weekly podcast recorded at Studio 66, presented by Tennessee Legend Distillery. Between Two Barrels is a show that highlights legends of all shapes and sizes from across the state of Tennessee. From the queen of country Dolly Parton to the elusive Tennessee Wildman. From our head distiller to our legendary staff and products. On this show, you will learn some terms of the alcohol industry, as well as learn some awesome recipes for food and cocktails alike. Join us as we journey through the volunteer state to bring you stories of legends that involve the beautiful state of Tennessee, from country music as well as rock and roll royalty, cryptids, distillery origins, carbonated beverage beginnings, and everything in between. This show truly highlights what makes a legend a Tennessee legend. What's up, Legends, and welcome back to another episode of Between Two Barrels Podcast. I'm the host, Opie, and joined by the manager and co-host, Belo. What is up, B? Well, not a whole lot, man. Um, For those of you that have been paying attention to our social media pages, you'll recently have seen uh, where we posted about becoming a Patreon member, Mm. a Patreon sponsor. Um, and normally we start off by doing a little life catch up Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but we actually did that before we started recording. Well, getting into the show, uh, it has been a decent amount of it has been recorded. Um, so if you want to become a Patreon member and be able to catch up and listen to all of that discussion, including my, uh, I don't want to say quite epic rant about the insurance and healthcare system. Uh, as well as um, my thoughts on what it's like being a 40-year-old uh, in today's society mm-hmm. um, whenever it comes to the fact that we just feel... And even 30-year-olds, like your 34, 35 to 44, 45-year-olds right now, um, it just seems like we are... Our whole mindset, our our way of doing things, our our thought process seems to be... Uh, even the the afflictions that we have to deal with, our health mm. issues and stuff like that, are twenty years beyond what yeah. any one of our age should really yeah. be having to deal with. Um, and <laughs> and also went off of, uh, on a little bit of a, a tangent about all the things that people in our age bracket have experienced um, and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, if you want to wind up listening to all that stuff. Of course, don't hesitate to, to become a Patreon member for Studio 66, where you can get uh, all the um, pre-show uh, ramblings, post-show ramblings, uh, deep cuts, all of that stuff over on Patreon uh, for less than a cup of coffee. Um, Absolutely. For the entire month, you'll be able to get access to this stuff. And I know that there are some people... Uh, that I have had the pleasure of working with uh, for several years, uh, in the past, of course, Mm. um, that spend probably, I don't know, double digits on coffee every single day. Um, So, yeah, if you want to get some some stuff that, while may not be as calorically 
uh, filling. Um, hopefully, it will be emotionally and or thought filling um, than what you're <laughs> experiencing with buying all that coffee and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, for less than a cup of coffee a day, or uh, for just a cup of coffee for the entire month, sorry, not for a day, yes. for per day, um, you can experience all of this stuff. But uh, as far as store news, um, just to catch back up on that real quick, uh, we are back in studio, first recording um, in over a week now. Uh, we wound up doing one recording which would have been the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to Tennessee, as mm -hmm. it was aptly named. Mm -hmm. uh, I really appreciate the nod to one of my favorite authors uh, for one of my favorite Very series, well. that being the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. um, as a non-native Tennessean, I really enjoyed um, taking the time to find some interesting spots and some interesting uh, uh, places, things to do. Uh, and inventions just all sorts of things as a non-native tennessean that i found very interesting about this state uh and hope that some other people took some inspiration from it even if you are a native tennessean you may not known about some of these different things or have not been able to experience them and hopefully you get to as well uh but over there on studio 66 uh, we also make sure and let you know to follow our sponsor one of our main sponsors that being Tennessee Legend Distillery. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we had with this weather event uh, that I guess we are going to affectionately name Snowmageddon 24. Well, yeah, because in all honesty, I, we're already almost into February. And I mean, unless something freak happens, I don't see another one happening. Which, I mean, you know, if you've been paying attention to some of the, the weather pattern trackers and all this other mm -hmm. stuff, uh, we're supposedly primed. To have another one to where almost the entire country is going to be covered in snow at some point in time wow. during the month of February. Uh, only we'll places like... We'll, we'll uh, need Dennis Quaid and Jake Gyllenhaal to help us out. Potentially. Um, not even the entire state of South Carolina is in the clear of this one. Almost the entire state of Tennessee is going to be affected in this one. Mostly over like the um, lower south west corner ah. uh, will likely not have anything and then of course getting down into Alabama Mississippi Georgia stuff like that there's really not going to be anything um, but majority of the the country nay the southeast yeah um, is going to wind up being covered supposedly at some point allegedly. in time yeah, allegedly um, but yeah make sure that you follow Tennessee Legend Distillery um, if not just your local area, Tennessee Legend Distillery, whether it be Nashville, Cookville, or over here in Sevier County, uh, follow all of them. Mm. Just that way, if anybody you know lives in those areas, you'll be able to let them know what the store operating hours are. If we're going to be opening late, closing early, anything like that, you can definitely find all that information over there on the Tennessee Legend Distillery pages. Absolutely. Well, we've talked about the business we've talked about last episode this episode however we are getting into something that i i i honestly could imagine that a lot of the country do not realize that the great state of tennessee is also home to the oldest radio show ever I guarantee you a lot of people would say, like, nah, surely that comes from somewhere like L.A. So, or something. So or. it's it's not necessarily the oldest show, 
but it is home to the longest, longest running run. continuous radio show. Kind of like uh, most people say, like you know, like oh, the longest running show on TV today is is uh, Law and Order or Monday Night Raw. And it's like, what about Guiding Light and all that? They don't even take a break. No, they just go. So technically. The way you look at things and the way you word things mm-hmm. is how you get certain stats. Because, like, those stories, as my grandmother used to say, oh, yeah. you gotta watch I gotta the watch the stories, stories, have been going way longer than things like Law and Order and stuff. But technically, they say, like, oh, the longest running weekly episodic show is blah, 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 blah. It's right. like, well, if you word it a different way, it's not you all. So, right. So, yeah, uh, perspective, yeah, it's perspective. Um, just depending on how things are worded and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You can change up some some wording to make something seem completely different than than what it actually is. Yes. Um, and this this is one of those instances. Like we that, could easily could say be, we are the longest running distillery podcast in Sevier County. And that wouldn't be a lie. And it wouldn't be a lie. Because, because of the way we word we it. Word it. We are. <laughs> we are. You either either have or, you know. Yeah. The way you word it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's all in wording. You know those words. Those are your babies. That's right. Bringing a little George Carlin there. So, yeah. the uh, Let's talk about this radio show. Or as most people would know it as the Grand Owl Opry. Yes. Grand Ole Opry, founded on November 28th, 1925. We are coming up just one year away from them having their 100th anniversary. I can guarantee you they are already planning the party. Oh, I'm sure. I guarantee you they'll have names. It'll be like a week-long celebration. They'll have shows every night, and they'll have interviews, and they'll have awards and I guarantee you they are already planning what their 100th celebration is going to look like. Oh, I'm sure trying to make sure that they can actually get specific entertainers and stuff like that lined up. Mm-hmm. Um because we're going to talk about in this episode there's a lot of stuff, not maybe necessarily in this episode, but around this episode this may be something that we'll keep for Patreon content. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be invited as a member, and there are certain stipulations, albeit they've changed throughout the year, but there yeah. are certain requirements that yeah. you have to meet um, to, to be yeah. a member and maintain membership. Uh, there's also quite a few famous people who have <laughs> been invited and have done things that, you know... Uh, We're going in a different direction. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as far as that stuff. But yes, uh, like I said, founded November 28th, 1925 by George D. Hay as a one-hour radio barn dance on WSM. Now, if you have seen any of the televised editions uh, or been to the Ryman Auditorium or to the Grand Ole Opry House or to anywhere or dealt with anything concerning the Grand Ole Opry, the call letters WSM are are synonymous and always will be um, with that because that are the call, that is the call letters for the show. Now that it is currently owned and operated by Opry Entertainment, which is a joint venture between NBC Universal, 
Ateros and majority shareholder Ryman Hospitality Properties. And it is, of course, like you said, the longest running continuous radio show Mm -hmm. in U.S. history. Now, something that you may not know, but it's kind of a given, is that it is dedicated to honoring country music and its history. The Opry showcases a mix of famous singers and contemporary chart toppers performing country music, bluegrass, Americana, folk, and gospel music, as well as comedic performances and skits. So they took a, a... I guess you could say Hee Haw wound up taking yep. a little bit of inspiration from the, the Opry uh, and turned it into a full-fledged show. Uh, it attracts hundreds of thousands of visitors from around the world and millions of radio and internet users each and every week. Can you imagine the amount of increase in revenue and viewership once they started broadcasting it on the internet? Oh, I could get... I could. Because then you're going to have revenue dollars from, hey, can we give you this much money and you run a Geico ad during your online streams? Yeah. Or on your online page? Oh, yeah. We'll get a big three-by-three three ad, and they can click on it, and it comes to our site. So then you're just it just opens up more place for revenue dollars. Now, in the 1930s, the show actually began hiring professionals and expanded to four hours. It was originally just the hour-long show, but extended to four hours long. Broadcasting then at 50,000 watts. Um, for those of you that may not be familiar, depending on what wattage is being broadcast at, will determine what kind of reach you will have for the, the, rate or the show oh, okay. in particular. Um, so if someone is broadcasting, say, at 25,000 watts, they're not going to be able to reach out as far. Um, one of the things that I've told people in trying to explain this um, on a little bit smaller scale, um, I used to live out, or kind of do still now <laughs> live out, uh, just in a different capacity, uh, near I-40. And okay. I had a CB radio in my truck, regular antenna, those things usually broadcast at about internally 250 to 300 watts of power. Okay. So I could wind up easily talking to people on a good clear night just over the border in North Carolina with that power. Okay. On a CB radio. Uses the same type, for the most part, uses the same type of waves to be able to transmit from the transmission location to a receiving location. Um, and in this capacity, anyone that was on that particular channel on that f- wave frequency mm-hmm. on their CB radio, whether it be a trucker or an individual in their home or vehicle or whatever the case may be, would be able to hear and respond over that particular airwave. Now you take that and put into the capacity that they were broadcasting at 50,000 watts. So there... And you had a... And I had 250 to 300 watts. And they were doing 50,000. And they were broadcasting at 50,000 watts. So it might not reach California at 50,000. Not entirely. However, uh, WSM made the program a Saturday night musical tradition in nearly 30 states. So out of the the 50 states at at that time, at this particular point in time, 
that could have been reached, 30 of them were reached. And this is broadcasting from Nashville at the time. So you can imagine that pretty much anything east of the Mississippi, Mm -hmm. for the most part, was covered. Maybe you're not getting up into Maine and stuff like that. In some but, places, they might be like, what the hell is Nashville? Yeah. But it might be some people's first times hearing about Nashville. Tennessee. Oh, absolutely. Um, but your first big wow. block, of course, going west would wind up being the Rockies. Yeah. And then trying to, I mean, sound wave travels linear. Mm-hmm. It's not something that can go up and over and back yeah. down and continue. It's just a <laughs> solid wave. So things can wind up blocking it or creating interference. But yes. Um 50,000 watts, nearly 30 states. And as you mentioned, this could be the first time that anybody is hearing about really anything Nashville or the Nashville area. And it's really cool that you mentioned that because people did really start traveling to Nashville just to be able to go to the Opry. It's like we uh, found out on the previous episode that while Nashville is the home of country music, Mm -hmm. Of course, Bristol is the birthplace Birthplace. of country music. Um, Not a whole lot of people traveling to Bristol, except unless you're a race fan at this point. True. Um, But so many people started traveling to Nashville, and the amount of expansion that Nashville has incurred in this period of time, because, I mean, if you think about it, go to Nashville, look at Nashville in the 1930s. Oh, yeah. Pictures of it? Yeah. Go look at pictures of Nashville in the 1930s. And then you've got this weekly show Mm -hmm. every Saturday night. was so popular it went from one hour to four hours. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, mind you, because it started in 25 and by the mid-30s, it had gone to four hours and was being broadcast at 50,000 watts that there were so many people from across the country that were traveling specifically to Nashville just to be able to experience the home of country music. And at that point, you could pretty much say the rest is history just Mm -hmm. because the amount of tourism directed to Nashville... And then that's going to make some locals say, hmm, I could open up a a bar here. Yeah. And those tourists are going to come here. I could open up a a bar, a honky tonk. I could could open up a general store and sell boots. Yeah. And now you've got so much of the country's infrastructure has decided to lay their foundation and roots in Nashville Mm -hmm. because of international travel out of Nashville Airport. Yep. You've got so many different the AT&T building the Mm -hmm. Batman building in Nashville the main central hub for AT&T communications across the country in Nashville whenever we had the unfortunate Christmas bombing several years ago it wound up taking out some of the communications because Mm -hmm. of what was affected because of that bombing in Nashville Mm -hmm. it took down part of the country's infrastructure because of where it's at Mm -hmm. and I can't remember when we were talking about it, uh, if it was during the uh, um, full transparency. This is a re-record for this particular episode, unfortunately, uh, due to faulty internet connection, uh, um, bad uh, uh, earbuds, uh, solar flares, (laughs) whatever you want to attribute it to. (laughs) Um, It just wasn't a good audio quality, and we, of course, don't want to give you guys any kind of junk. 
Um, so we are re-recording this, but we were talking about um, Oak Ridge in Tennessee and the yeah. fact of Oak Ridge being the home to... It, no, it was in the uh, tail end yeah. or, or uh, some of the Patreon stuff for uh, um, the, the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to Tennessee guy, yeah. al- uh, uh, episode. But we're talking about the fact that Oak Ridge is the the birthplace, although it was called the Manhattan Project, it wasn't realized until it was realized in the in the secret city secret of city. of East Tennessee known as Oak Ridge, where the atomic bomb and everything else, Fat Man and Little Boy, you know, yeah. birthed out of the backwoods of East Tennessee, man, and then you've got Nashville as a a complete hub of some of the country's main infrastructure in terms mm-hmm. of communications through AT&T um the number of uh, uh inventions and first things to come out of the state of Tennessee the number of volunteers that that wound up you know not having to be coerced in any capacity whatsoever to go fight in multiple wars, mm-hmm. um, both foreign and domestic foes. What's there other than the fact that we have really crappy taxes, especially yeah. in this area? Yes. Um, the tourism can be rather overwhelming, and I know this state loves to hand out fines left like and right. Crazy. Um, other than those three things, I mean, there's not a whole lot terrible about the state of Tennessee that can can be said unless you just really don't like the color orange but you know, other than that it, it's not really bad but getting back to the the opry um in 1939 it debuted nationally on nbc radio so it become at that point i guess you could refer to it as a syndicated show in the fact that it was broadcast on its own platform mm. but then was picked up by a national platform so the 30 or the 20 something states that it couldn't broadcast to previously now has the capability of being able to go fully across the country and then as it developed was able to eventually get onto TV mm. um but the Opry actually moved to its most famous former home <laughs> if you're keeping up mm-hmm. um the Ryman Auditorium in yes. 1943. Uh, Ryman, of course, still standing. We'll get into some more information about it later and some of the hardships that it wound up facing, On it. Um, among other things. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, the Opry moved to its most famous former home, uh, the Ryman Auditorium, in 1943. And as it developed in importance, so did the city of Nashville, which became, of course, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. America's country music capital. The Grand Ole Opry holds such significance in Nashville that it is included as a home of mention on the welcome sign seen by motorists at the Metro Nashville-Davidson County line. Now, I talked earlier, I uh, mentioned briefly membership. Uh, membership in the Opry remains one of country music's most crowning achievements. And since 1974, the show has been broadcast from the Grand Ole Opry House east of downtown Nashville with an annual three-month winter foray back to the Ryman, which took place from 1999 to 2020. Of course, COVID happened, and then they had to step away for a little bit. Um, And again, for shorter winter residencies beginning in 
believe it or not, just this past year, 2023. Uh, in addition to the radio programs, performances have been sporadically televised over the years, and the Opry's television partner is currently Circle, which is a digital multicast network which is partially owned by Opry Entertainment and Gray Television. Now, it broadcasts portions of the live Saturday night performance on an irregular basis. So it's one of those things to where we have to, you have to kind of catch it. You know, yeah. making sure that you get the right time or, you know, you're looking for a particular special. And usually it's a situation where they're inducting a new member or there is a definitively special guest member that's going to be coming on. Like an episode where they're going to have uh, uh, Post Malone, yeah. you know, come on and do some stuff. Because he recently actually did a uh, um, cover of uh, one of Elvis's songs. Pretty good Devil too. in Disguise was fantastic. Just him by himself. It, it was really good. But yeah, uh, someone like that coming on, you know, that's yeah. typically going to wind up being televised. Fully televised, but that doesn't mean that you can't go online and be able to see just a streaming broadcast yeah. of the show. Um, now, the Opry's... Like I said, the Opry's television partner um, is currently Circle. It is partially owned by Opry Entertainment and Gray Television. Um, now, some of the bands regularly on the show during its early days <laughs> included, and you're going to love some of these names, included Bill Monroe. I know yeah. Bill Mon. Uh, yeah, oh, Bill Mon. Norm normal, okay. you know, nothing odd about that. Yeah. The next one, however, the Possum Hunters with, with accompanying uh, Humphrey Bait. Master Humphrey. Okay. Let's put it together. You can make your own jokes awesome. there. The Fruit Jar Drinkers. I wonder if that was some early Shine. inspiration for, yeah. Um, with Uncle Dave Macon. Oh, Macon Bacon. Okay. Uh, the Crook Brothers. I am not a crook. But we are the Crook Brothers. The Binkley Brothers Dixie Clodhoppers. I can see. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Opie's expression right now. It's like. Well, some of these I'm just like, did they just not make it? Right. Like. You don't hear anything. Like, have you ever someone, heard anything by. I tried to erase them from time. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Um, I need to talk or we need to talk after. Yes. Uh, about one of the um, recent videos that I saw concerning. Uh, Mandela effect. Mandela effect. Yeah. Did you? You should. You yeah. Used, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, what happened to the Binkley brothers, Dixie <laughs> Clodhoppers, or Sid Harkreader, DeFord Bailey, Fiddlin' Arthur Smith? You know who that reminds me of? Who? One of our former bosses. Oh. Juggling Jim Hedrick. Jim Hedrick. Uh, Who still uses an AOL email, by the Fiddlin way. Fiddlin' is uh, a nickname that was actually pretty popular back in the day. Because I'm pretty sure that the first documented recording of the song Cotton Eye Joe comes from 
a guy with the nickname Fiddlin' blah blah blah. I was going to say not guy. the rednecks. It's not Arthur Smith, and it's, yeah, it's not Cotton Eye Joe was it's not fiddling, originally the redneck. It's Fiddlin' something, but Fiddlin' apparently back in the day was a a common a common nickname, nickname. for people who played the fiddle. Oh like yeah, if I was master of the fiddle, you'd call me Fiddlin' Opie. Fiddlin' Opie McDaniel. Yeah. Fiddlin' Opie Mac. Farm. Farm. Because <laughs> everything has to be shortened nowadays. Yes. Um, and of course, my favorite, the gully jumpers. <laughs> what you do is you take this ball and you put it here in this here gully, and you roll the ball, and you take yourself, and you hurt yourself down this here slippery gully, and see how many of them snake bashing clubs you can knock down before the ball gets there. Nobody does stuff like that anymore you know jumping gullies jumping um you know off of high you know it's not like a isn't that what are y'all the, doing what are y'all doing today isn't that in the we're robin gonna, robin hood little john to, song we're gonna go down to isn't that one of the things that they did robin hood and little john walking through the, the forest laughing back and forth with it the other had to see might be i thought that at one point in time they had talked about jumping gullies or something like that i don't know um but, like, nobody does that anymore. Thanks no. Thanks to, like, technology and social media and streaming. It's not just like, what are y'all up to today? Oh, we're going to go jump off of old Goat Bridge. <sighs> God, me and your dad used to do that when we was kids. Mm-hmm. I broke my arm doing it one time. And <laughs> Could you imagine uh, if if at one point in time, you old son of a gully jumper, you. Yeah. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, uh, Ron Jeffrey, God rest him, he's gone, you know, mm-hmm. from us. Um, wish that weren't the case, but of course, uh, you know, we can only guy. hope that everybody's in a better place. Funny guy. But anytime I'd walk up to him, it was always the same. You old snot slinging snake oil selling son of a buck. How are you? Yeah. Sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I could imagine something like that being said or how some of these people wound up getting some of these names. Uh, but yeah, those are some of the names of some of the early and regular band members that would play on the show. And speaking of just the phrase itself, Grand Ole Opry, how long after the show originally started? Because you remember me saying to begin with that it was called the Barn Dance. Mm-hmm. It was WSM Barn Dance to begin with. Okay. Starting in 1925. How much longer do you think it was until it actually wound up being referred to as the Grand Ole Opry? It started in what? 20? 1925. 1925. I'd give it 10 years. 15 years for the nickname. You, you started with the... T- and I thought you were going to nail it right off the bat. It was only 20? two. Oh, no, two? No, it was only two. Damn. Okay. No, the phrase Grand Ole Opry was first uttered on radio on December the 10th, 1927. Okay. Uh, at the time, the NBC Red Network's Music Appreciation Hour which was a program with classical music and selections from Grand Opera, Mm. was followed by Hayes' Barn Dance. Mm -hmm. That evening, as he was introducing DeFord Bailey, as we just learned that was one of the original uh, bands that would play there on the show, the show's first performer of the night, um, George Hayes said the following words, for the past hour, we have been listening to music largely from Grand Opera. But from now on, we will present to you the Grand Ole Opry. 
I bet it was him trying to be southern and silly. Yeah. Yeah. A, a form of marketing. I yeah, mean, form of marketing. you've been He's listening like, to... Aubrey. Yeah, you've been listening to all this classic music. I mean, if uh, this because is... Because in the South, you know, what we were deemed at for years, uneducated and unable to speak with our weird Appalachian vernacular and all that, we would probably call Opera Opry. Oh, absolutely. You, you, you go down to that Opry. I mean, Opie, were you not at one point in time the Opry super the fan? The Opry super I was a fan of the Smoky Mountain Opry. I was the super fan. Um, which, uh, did I ever explain to you where Opie came from? Wasn't it from, like, taking it from the, the Opry or? No. And uh, I was like, it needs to flow with Opry. And, and then it just hit me one day is I sit every Saturday home game in OP. Oh, and section in, yeah, oh, okay. OP. And so I was like, Opie, Opie. Oh, people love Opie from Andy, so right. <laughs> people love the name Opie. And uh, it's just not a popular, it's not a name that's said. A lot of people, yeah. Yeah, so it became Opie the Opry fan. Recognizable. Yeah, yeah. And, and people make that uh, derivation, yeah. that, that correlation with, like you said, yeah. uh, Andy Griffith and stuff like but that. But plus, so. I mean, I, and I would imagine that since we, we did this Opry thing, that it initially became all about country music and folk music. But today, right. the term Opry has kind of, thanks to this man starting it, right? you know, when some mark, mark, markabilly, a marketing hillbilly, a markabilly. <laughs> nice new terminology <laughs> yeah. creation. Uh, in this markabilly way, he created a word, a new word, like we've seen authors like Dr. Seuss do. Oh, and absolutely. He created or, this or word. whoever wrote Islands in the Stream. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he created this new word to do this, but then it became in the dictionary as a place that plays and pays homage to folk and country music. Nowadays, if you're building like an Opry, it's just a place that plays music, a place that offers music. Right. So this man's funny little thing one night in 1927 right birthed a word that now today is in the dictionary it's yeah you know so it's crazy it's kind of like the rock did with smackdown smackdown wasn't a word yeah until he said it and now until yeah. he said i'm gonna lay the smackdown Ooh, that's smackdown. that's catchy oh that's ca smackdown now it's in the freaking dictionary yeah. it's crazy i'm like i want to create a word that gets in the dictionary we're giving all you rudy poos a lesson in <laughs> The history of words. In the history With of the words. With the Two Barrels podcast. <laughs> but yes, um, from someone sitting there having the epiphany as a as an entertainer, um, you've gone from being broadcast to just a, albeit a very large area. Yeah. You've been now transferred over to NBC. You're now on a lot larger scale. Mm-hmm. You're now pretty much countrywide or nationwide at this point. And you've had these people who have been listening to, you know, different backgrounds, different, you know, cultural backgrounds, different uh, educational backgrounds or whatever has been listening to this classical music and forms of opera. Mm. Well, uh, sit back, you know, take your shoes off. Set a spell. We're going to, you know, kick things up here a little bit. We're going to spice it up. Add a little fire to it. 
So you've been listening to the classical music and selections of the Grand Opera. Well, now we're going to switch on over to the Grand Ole Opry. And yeah, 100%. Uh, Yeah. So now the Ryman Auditorium itself, as we mentioned before, um, was home to the Opry until 1974. But by the late 1960s, National Life and Accident desired a new, larger, more modern home for the long-running radio show. At the time, already 51 years old, the Opry moved there, and the Ryman was beginning, of course, to suffer from disrepair as the downtown neighborhood around it fell victim to increasing urban decay. If you're not familiar with the term urban decay, I encourage you to look it up. Um, It will be very explanatory in what it means to have like property values decrease mm-hmm. due to um uh economics um social uh um or society hierarchical higher i can't figure out hierarchy how hierarchical <laughs> yeah right hierarchical. we're gonna be generating new words here on between two barrels um basically how like uh um once a negative or or uh, unfortunate circumstances are introduced into a particular area, yeah, things just continue to deteriorate yeah. until a major change is made in some capacity. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, negative things had been introduced to the area, so the area around the Ryman Auditorium um, were were in disarray, and it was causing this urban decay to that area um the increase of you know potential crimes uh including you know violent crimes and stuff Mm -hmm. like that were happening so at nowhere near as many people were wanting to go to that area it's like saying uh um i don't want to throw shade at at anyone here in sevier county or whatever or okay let's say this um back home Mm-hmm. It, uh, if you lived in Graniteville, which is where I'm from, you were referred to as coming from the the rough side of town. Okay. Um, yeah, there were some okay homes. You know, things weren't like in disrepair, disarray. But if you were coming from Graniteville, you were a redneck. You were coming from over in the the poorer side of town. You know, things weren't as built up and stuff like that mm-hmm. so it would have been like saying okay the Ryman was over in Graniteville okay whereas you know it got moved over into in that capacity Aiken like yeah. where, uh, um, if we wanted to correlate it directly to Knoxville like what's a, a bad area South Knoxville okay yeah I the, the it, as tip, long as I've lived of, here I never really the you tip know, of Chapman that goes into Knoxville and it's like, like drops you off on uh, Gay Street Bridge and all that. Okay. Like that part of Knoxville. Like after you get out of uh, Seymour. Okay. And you're technically into Knoxville. Because okay. Seymour is technically a three-way split. Seymour is in Sevier County. Then you hit this weird unincorporated stretch of mile. Right. And then it's Seymour-Knoxville. Right. Yeah, so, I, you drive through it on Chapman yeah. Highway. It's really yeah. weird seeing the so signage like and stuff like that. Once you get into that like Seymour-Knoxville area and then onto like close to the Gay Street Bridge, most people would say, like, that's you don't go there alone. 
<laughs> right. Roll them up. Yeah, roll them up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that's the correlation. I mean, if you want to have just a, a, a quick reference, a mental reference, something that you can image or picture as to what the reference of urban decay would be, that's the, the type of thing that they're talking about. Um, despite these shortcomings, however, the show's popularity continued to increase and its weekly crowds were outgrowing the 2,362-seat venue. Let's put that into perspective again real quick. If you visited the Smoky Mountain Opry, that was a 1,400-seat theater. Yes. Hard to fill. And we did it routinely, yeah. especially for the Christmas show. Yeah. I mean, packed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Comedy Barn, at one point in time, eight hundred and just shy of 850 count. Yeah. We would pack out three shows a day uh-huh. in that thing routinely. This is a 2,362-seat venue. Almost 1,000 more seats in it than what the Opry had. And it was getting packed out every week. And at that time, probably... I mean, it was being a outgrown. Few dollars, a few like dollars standing for a room, ticket. Yeah, standing room only in this place where you're like... Before uh, uh, fire safety codes yeah. and everything yeah, else were put into stuff. place... And, and you it may be one of the reasons why some of these things were instituted yeah. uh, as far as like uh, yeah. max number or max capacity of, of patrons and, and like stuff like that. In at a that place. time, probably like $5 a ticket, $3 a ticket. It, if not less. you're selling out at yeah. 2300 You're making bank, man. Oh, absolutely. Bank. Absolutely. Now, the Opry's operators wanted to build a new air-conditioned theater with... Can you imagine uh, being... The first one didn't have AC. <laughs> 2,362 people crammed in, standing room only, and no air conditioner. With a dress code. It's With a dress code. And it's like <laughs> sitting there in the uh, tent revivals. Everybody's got mm, the fans. fans. Oh, Lord. <laughs> the vapors. <laughs> I got, I the, got vapors. the vapors. Um, but wanted to build a new air-conditioned theater with greater seating capacity, ample parking, and the ability to serve as a television production facility. Okay. So, yeah, they were wanting to... So, they were also wanting to turn it into a facility where local TVs produced there. The potential was there for that okay. to happen, but they were basically wanting to have it as... I'm trying to think of... Say like Thompson Bowling or or um, what's the other place that the circus comes to? Civic. The Thompson. Civic Coliseum. Yeah. Um, you know how they have uh, camera setups? Like oh, they have the... Like if WWE's there. Yeah. Okay. That sort of thing. Yeah. That scenario. Like if need be, you have they the equipment and the big, setup yeah. and you could put in the equipment okay. to be able to do these things. Um, the Opry building itself where the X-Spots in the alcoves and originally used to be homes for the spotlights um, to the left and to the right of yeah. the main flight coupe yeah. and stuff like that. Okay. Um, that sort of thing. It was, it would be set up like we could actually have filmed, fully filmed the Smoky Mountain Opry show at any point in time and had everything set up Different for angles. a full production to be able to do it in that capacity. It would just take them wanting to do that. But, of course, they never really wanted to film any of that stuff. Well, none of the magicians wanted any of their shows really filmed. Um, the ideal location would be in a less urbanized part of town to provide visitors with a safer, more controlled, and more enjoyable experience. 
So they were trying to go a little bit outside of the main downtown area and get it in an area that is a little less traveled in terms of urban, if, you know. So um, opening night for that particular uh, opening in the new place, excuse me, um, was attended by, at the time, sitting U.S. President Richard Nixon, who actually played a few songs on the piano. He's a piano player. He's a piano player. He was not a crook, but he was a piano player. Mm-hmm. Um, and to carry on the tradition of the show's run at the Ryman, a six-foot circle of oak was cut from the corner of the Ryman stage and inlaid into center stage at the new venue. So, so part of the old stage was became n- the performance space. Yes. The performance area. The, the Yes. The solo-like little circle. Well, I'm glad you actually went ahead and said that. Um, the artists on stage usually stood on the circle as they performed, and most modern performers still follow this tradition. So it's, it's definitely different. Um, you can see it, especially if you look at photos and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You can see that it's a different color and everything else it's it's evident it's very evident um and that's where you know even chris stapleton recently you Mm -hmm. know in some of his performances wound up standing on that section because it is from the original ryman auditorium where the show is housed the energy and the history that's probably in that piece of seeped into that just one chunk of wood one chunk of and circle um, as someone who has watched a lot of Supernatural, not me, you. Yes. <laughs> um, I still need to finish the yeah. the series. Um, the circle itself. I mean, is that not something that winds up holding? Yeah. Because there is no beginning, yeah, there is no end. It, it uh, like the wedding ring. I mean, yeah. it's not necessarily trap. We're not saying anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. In in some people's instances, maybe. Maybe. Uh, personal speaking, no, not the yeah. case for me. Um, but no, I mean the, the symbology of it, but yeah, if, if the, the topic that we had talking about theaters and we did mention the Ryman, Mm -hmm. um, in one of the October episodes where we were talking about spirits of the theater, the number of people who have come and gone that performed, if a piece of their energy, every time that they performed on that stage was absorbed into that. And that circle was was removed it. and kind of contains that. Yeah. It, imagine, you know, an entertainer today, like, steps foot onto that, and it's almost not necessarily like a portal, but yeah. you just, you're able to Not necessarily feel like a possession, but you just, you draw from that. Yeah, your, your energy, energy, your, yeah, the fact that, holy crap, Hank Sr., yeah. Stood here. Kind of like what we do you know, here at the distillery. There's, you know, stuff that's left over in the barrel. Even after yeah. it's drained. It's like seeped into that oak. Oh, absolutely. So, like, even though... Like, it, some it, of our pieces of art that have been yeah. done on the, the laser engraving machine yeah. and stuff like that, that's still all so there. So, imagine literally uh, these these legends like Hank and, and little... Jimmy Dickens and and all these people that performed and we're gonna get to it even names like Elvis Presley himself yeah p- 
performed in this this circle thing and their sweat their blood from playing instruments their their voice their energy just the presence of them gets trapped like bourbon does in a barrel right and doesn't really go anywhere and it's just there and it stays there Ugh, I'd love to just step into that little circle thing one day and just stand there right and just with like see an if EVP you can recorder. Just, yeah feel anything just, yeah. pick up anything or anything like that now the Opry itself they'd probably be like sure you can for three thousand dollars right <laughs> for a port for a uh, uh for a donation for a to donation the, the, the <laughs> Continuance of upkeep of the yeah. the Grand Ole Opry. Um, it actually continues to be performed every Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday. So they went from just a single weekly show to now having multiple shows a week. Wow. And occasionally Wednesday and Sunday at the Grand Ole Opry House. Now the site was added to the National Register of Historic Places on January the 27th, only eight years ago. Whoa. In 2015. That was late. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, we are two days, aw- or uh, uh, four days away, sorry, four days away uh, from what would be the um, nine-year anniversary of wow. that having taken place. The Grand Ole Opry House was also the home of the Country Music Association Awards from 1974 through 2004, 30 years of the uh, ACA's. Mm-hmm. being held uh, at the, uh, or CMAs, sorry, the CMAs uh, being held at the Grand Ole Opry House. Of course, after 2004, the event was just so big, yeah. they couldn't fit as many people in, so they had to change venues yeah. to somewhere that could house more people. However, it also hosted three weeks of tapings for the long-running game show Wheel of Fortune in 2003. And the venue has also been the site of the GMA Dove Awards on multiple locations. Uh, GMA uh, being the Gospel Music mm-hmm. Association. And the Dove Award, of course, being their version Christian of artists, the, yeah. the Grammy yeah. or the the um, yeah. Country Music Association Awards, stuff like that. Now, unfortunately, in May 2010, the Opry House was flooded along with much of Nashville when the Cumberland River overflowed its banks. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, much of the auditorium's main floor seating, the backstage area, and the entire stage, including that six-foot inlaid circle of wood from the Ryman stage, was underwater during the flood. Uh, Hopefully not washing away any of that energy in any capacity. Um, but while the Grand Ole Opry House's stage was replaced, the Ryman Circle was restored and again placed at the center stage in the Grand Ole Opry House before shows resumed. Once again, unfortunately in 2020, the Opry closed its doors to spectators and trimmed its staff in March as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, excuse me. So 10 years later, in May 2010 is whenever the flood happened, and then 10 years later in March is whenever COVID happened, causing them to do that, but continued to air weekly episodes on radio and television relying on advertising, you mentioned advertising earlier, Mm -hmm. revenue to remain solvent. The Opry resumed allowing spectators on a limited basis in October and resumed full operations in May 2021. Now, due to the restrictions, the show did not move to the Ryman Auditorium in November 2020, as was customary, 
and the winter Ryman residency did not resume in 2021 or 2022, partially due to the scheduling conflicts from Ryman concerts postponed during the pandemic mm. closure. So all the people who had been contracted to perform during 2020 were having their concerts actually happen so during they that really time. Didn't get back to a sense of normalcy till like this year, this past year. Yeah. Wow. It's it's taken. And even us, I mean, it's taken several oh, years yeah. Yeah. for us to get back to a sense of normalcy um, and talking about not to get into sales figures because we're not going to discuss any yeah, of that but, stuff I mean, online. Compared to last year, you know, we are now seeing a real January. Yes. Compared to the last couple of years, yeah. we are seeing a traditional January in the Smoky Mountains area, which is usually nowhere near as busy as any other point no. in time of the year, January, February. Um, tail end of February going into March, we definitely see the uptick for spring break, and then we have a lull, and then it picks back up going into summer break. But the last several years, post-2020, um, there has been a significant increase um, during that time frame. While it's not as much, of course, as it would be during our regular peak season, mm. it was definitely an increase, and now we have gotten back to, um, you know, more a, a yeah. sense of normalcy, sense normal. as it were. Now, the Opry live streams were celebrated by viewers as something to look forward to during the pandemic. I know one of the things that I looked forward to most was uh, some good news with John Krasinski. Yes, um, me too. All those were fantastic. Great stuff. Um, would love to see more of that have continued mm -hmm. in the world, like actually having... A, a news channel that was dedicated to nothing but Positivity. that type of stuff. Yeah. So you could watch the regular news, but then you could watch the all positive news yes. network. Uh, and then if you wanted to, to get back to, not necessarily get back to, but you know take a break from augmented reality, as it were, uh, then go back to the regular broadcasting of stuff, which is 95% negative, yeah. you know, heartbreaking Terror, bad stuff scary yeah. the world's ending with 5% positive yeah. let's flip it around oh but look at this one-legged dog that survived there's your one good story for the week and that's what you get and, and it's ridiculous that's why I quit watching the regular news probably 15 years ago oh yeah I don't either I just I can't I can't bring myself to do ago. it uh, mine was during the pandemic I was like you know what I just can't do this I can't do this to my mental state because what I do is I was so bored and so felt so trapped during the pandemic of like in this, this space of there's so much terrible things going on in the world. There's racism. There's people dying from this illness that we can't cure that, you know, I personally felt helpless for the rest of the world. Like it was my job to help them. <laughs> Or, you know, or get us out of it like I could do anything. So I would watch news, and then I'd go straight to social media and be like, these people suck, you know, and I'd get so – I'd angry post. Yeah. And You know what that's not good fine. for? <laughs> blood pressure. Blood pressure. It's not good for blood pressure. Um, that actually happens to be the year I got put on blood, blood pressure, pressure medicine. <laughs> um, so my parents were just like, you need to stop. Just – Like, stop. Stop watching it. Stop turning to that. If you're going to watch news, you know, watch good news, you know, find right. the good. And so, yeah, uh, I just had to stop watching 
the news because the way it's shaped is everything sucks and we're all dying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Um, and that harks on you. Like, oh, you know, God. your your mentality and trying yeah. to go through life, it just, it's it's unfortunate. So yeah. take breaks from, from national media yeah. a, as much as you possibly can. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to go too, you Yeah, know, don't completely unplug yourself. I don't want to go too cons- but conspiracy theory here. There's not like a chalkboard behind me with strings and stuff. But they, at the end of the day, they are paid to sell a narrative to make you feel a certain way. Right. That's what their job is. Oh, yeah. Their job stopped becoming actually the reporting actual reporting the news, news yeah. years ago. Yes. Way long ago. So today... Before no, Cronkite was yes. whenever that stuff yes. was... So today, both, all of the mainstream media outlets, no matter what political party you follow, I don't care, Take I don't know you, they are made to f- make you feel a certain way. Yes. Take and breaks tell from you them. certain things. Take breaks from them. I or watch the other you. side. Yeah, watch the other side for a little bit and see what they're being fed. Yeah. Take breaks from all that stuff. I guarantee you, you will feel better. Yeah. Guarantee you. Absolutely. Uh, Of course, all of those live streams and stuff like that uh, being watched online because people were under lockdown. You know, we weren't really allowed to go. I felt like I got to experience the Opry for the first time. The stuff that they were doing the pandemic. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I was like, I actually feel like like, I've never taken the time. Like, I've never been there. I've been in Nashville so many times, and I'd never t- had the chance to go to the Grand Ole Opry to any performance, whether it be a C-list, up-and-coming country star to a big guy. Never been able to, to right. go. But these streams that they would do during the pandemic, and I would see get to see some of these artists performing in this legendary space. I mean, it was some of my favorite things about, like, during the pandemic. I was like, God, Opry's really given us things that we may have never gotten to see before. For sure. So, And that may account for the fact that, according to Polestar, Opry Live was the number one most-watched live stream series in 2020 across all genres and received more than 50 million views or viewers from over 50 countries throughout the year. It brought us all together. Music. More, I was going to say more so than Tiger King. Yeah, more so than Tiger King. Music. But yeah, um, I was trying to sit there and think, you know, while first having read this, um, while we went over it the, the first time during the first uh, attempted recording, mm. and now again during this, what was some of the other live stream series that were released in 2020? Um, Richard Spate, who plays Gabriel in Supernatural. Okay. And the, I can never remember his name, <laughs> the guy who plays Chuck. Okay. Uh, they did God, a, sh- God, Chuck, they did a, they would do a thing called, uh, Con, uh, I think I still have it. The Kings of Con. Okay. Where it was literally just the two of them. Like via like YouTube or via Zoom, and they you know they they talk supernatural behind the scenes. They talk about their stories of con and all that, and like they each week see how how long their beards have gotten since where they've gone. You know, like oh, I crossed paths with someone today, and I didn't know whether to shoot them in the head or say hi, because it's been X amount of days since I've seen someone other than my wife and kids. Right. Um. So yeah, that's where we're at. So, like, 
it it stu- that that streamed every week was the Kings of Con. Okay. And then that also birthed their show. Um, uh, then and now, their Supernatural rewatch. Okay. So that was one thing that that was pretty popular was the two of them doing their Kings of Con stuff. Nice. But other than that, I I know some places tried to, like I mean, remember the MLB putting fake fans in the yeah. I was like that was fine. Cut out and you could like pay, pay for to a have ticket a cutout. Pay yeah. to have a cutout. Yeah. I was like that's brilliant. That's smart. To get some, you know, yeah, some revenue, dollars coming in. Some fun, going. and you're kind of you're going to watch the game. Yeah. To see if your cutout. If your cutout gets shown on the TV. Um, WWE. They had all. They called it the the dome, the thunder, the dome, the Thunderdome, and and they had like thousands of LCD small LCD screens put up around the ring. Right. And you could tune in live streaming, like via zoom or whatever it was this link that they'd send out every day right and you could watch and like they're filming for like raw but you're seeing you sitting in your living room on a little lcd said like, that's me that's me i can see me i can see me and it's like the people are there right but they're not there I so get it. When these businesses, I mean, like there the could Opry be some like that. interaction, yeah. like somebody, like people, one of the performers, could turn around and yeah. look at one of the monitors and, and be like, yeah. I mean, they still throw it out. So like these businesses, like like Opry and WWE, and and they hats off to them because some and and Krasinski's some good news. Like holy crap, the the um. not the foresight, but the ingenuity, the ingenuity to, to you know what some people need right now. It's just entertainment and content. Yeah. That's what they need right now. And then the, a way to be able to get them engaged more so. But, yeah, um, I was just kind of thinking this along one of those, the conversation or part of the conversation earlier, the way you word something can make it look that much better than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, well, what other competition did the Opry really have as far as a live stream, something yeah. that they were going up against to be, you know, not voted, but marked yeah. as the most watch with more than 50 million viewers in over 50 countries throughout the year. Uh-huh. Now, two specific individual spots um, or episodes of Vince Gill and Reba McIntyre episode and a Brad Paisley carry Underwood placing at numbers nine and number 10, respectively, in the top 10 okay. episodes, I'm guessing. Uh, President of Opry Entertainment, Scott Bailey, explained that as the stewards of the Grand Ole Opry, it was never a question of if the Opry would play on, but how could it provide a safe and much-needed source of comfort during what has been an extraordinary year around the world. We are proud of this tremendous result and the numbers of viewers who have tuned in, not only for what it is meant for Circle, but also for what it says about the country music genre and country music fans. On behalf of all of us at the Grand Ole Opry and Opry Entertainment, I'd like to thank the artists, community, industry, and music lovers around the world for their continued support. And that was, like I said, from the president of Opry Entertainment, Scott Bailey. Now, after seven months of performing without a live audience, in October of 2020, the Opry kicked off its 95th anniversary by welcoming back 500 guests to the Opry House and so began a month-long celebration of the Opry country music, its artists, and its fans. And over 
2,200 and something seat theater allowed 500 people in there. I'm guessing due to what would be still social mm. distancing regulations and stuff like that at the time. Now, the Grand Ole Opry celebrated its 5,000th Saturday night show on October the 30th in 2021, so just a few years ago, with performances by country superstars and Opry members like Garth Brooks, Trisha Yearwood, Darius Rucker, Vince Gill, Chris Young, among several others. <clears throat> and one of the the things that we had started trying to do um and we've been doing this for the last several episodes and we've actually already covered a couple of these things mm-hmm. um throughout this episode but one of the things that we like to make sure that we cover for each one of these legends Mm -hmm. that we discuss on any of the episodes of Between Two Barrels is things like what kind of an impact has the Opry had? Oh, not just the Opry, but our subject. What type of an impact our subject has on people? Yeah. And I think in this capacity, we've more than, especially during the pandemic, um, more than talked about how uh, the impact on people is felt, um, mm-hmm. how it has definitely, especially during that time, giving them a, a sense of something to look forward to more than anything else. Um, but it's something that has transcended the music genre of country in its ability to bring people together because even in the very beginnings, just two years after it, was the barn dance Mm -hmm. the the creator was able to say you've been listening to this classical music and and grand opera Mm -hmm. well we're gonna provide you now with the grand old opry and the amount of growth that has occurred since then the impact on people just in general can't be denied now as far as the impact that it's had on our state oh wow yeah i mean that was one of the first things that we talked about during this episode yeah. is the fact that Nashville, while yes, was a, a major city, a metropolis of sorts, as it were, even during the twenties, the following 30 years and still continued to this day. I mean, uh, Vicki, um, one of the owners of Tennessee legend distillery mm-hmm. will tell quite often one of the times that she stayed in Nashville and counted almost 30 sky or uh, uh, cranes mm-hmm. across the horizon in Nashville. Something's always being built. Doing construction in the city. And just the amount of, of growth. And, and now the fact that uh, a lot of this country's infrastructure, communication-wise, yeah. is housed in Nashville, Tennessee, is, is crazy. Um, and because of the impact, that impact on our state, it goes without saying that the impact on the country is definitely felt even Mm. just through that. Um, as far as the impact on media, I would like to think that there's a lot of people, a lot of shows, um, uh, um, whether it be radio, uh, even people doing this type of stuff, whether mm-hmm. it be podcast or just YouTube channels and stuff like that, 
have taken inspiration at times from shows like the actual just audio broadcast that is the Grand Ole Opry um, beyond what you actually just see on TV, beyond the the performance aspect of it, just not people playing music and singing songs, but how to format, how to like lay out a show and stuff like that. Um, we mentioned uh, um, Hee Haw being a prime example of taking that uh, combination of country comedic skits and yep. musical entertainers and putting them together to generate this type of show. Well, I mean, uh, not shows just like Yeehaw, Comedy Barn, Smoky Mountain Opry. Oh, yeah. The shows that we worked for for all those years. I mean, in my opinion, without the Grand Ole Opry, shows like that, that don't, would they don't exist. That would not exist. A so. uh, 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 country variety show. Yeah, Country Tonight. Yeah. Here in, in Pigeon Forge. Um, certain types of shows that are on cruise cruise lines. I mean, yeah. that type of entertainment and media, I think, does not exist if Grand Ole Opry was not a success. A, a, a structured variety show with timing and, mm-hmm. and a host to lead from one segment to the next. Someone to carry the... the Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Grand Ole Opry very easily paved ways for all of these things. All of these things. Um, and Again, that, from, from us at the Volunteer State. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> and then the same thing can be said for pop culture. Pop culture and media in that aspect can wind up going hand in hand uh, in the impact and influences that the Opry has had on those um, those two. Uh, um, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for. Uh, not jobs, but uh, uh, industries. Yeah. Industries. Those two particular industries, media and uh, pop culture. Even though I guess pop culture can't really be considered an industry, just a. Uh, it's a, yeah, more of a. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Wh- what you would refer to that as, but you you get what we're yeah. saying. Um, and of course, I mean, as far as the impact on economy, uh, we Fantastic were talking about it. For Nashville. At, yeah, at that point in time, you know, even if they were charging two to three dollars a ticket, if that. But you had over two thousand dollars or two thousand plus people every time coming in and being completely packed out. Job opportunities. Yeah, all that. Uh, know, there's concessions. There's box office. There's custodians. There's front of house people. There's lighting, sound, tech, everything from front of house managers to back of house managers to choreographers to everything in between. It opened up jobs for yeah people. So, in in your opinion, beyond or not necessarily beyond encompassing everything that we've discussed, what makes it a legend to you? Uh, what makes it a legend, and I think what makes what I would probably my go-to easy answer for for most of all the topics that we we try to discuss in this podcast is what makes it a legend is that we still talk about it it's still around oh absolutely 1925 about to celebrate its 100th year um i think that's in and it's in its entirety what makes these some of these people legends these things legends that we discuss is the fact that we are discussing them no offense to some of the names that were mentioned 
in the early days of the Op- uh, Opry. Not legends. But do you have a... Do we you, don't talk about them. Do you have an LP from yeah, one of these guys? No, I, we, I do don't. You have, like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Like, so even though they're like, hi, oh, yeah, they were in the early days of the... You know, they walked so everyone else could run, but we don't talk about them. Right. So, I mean, no disrespect to them. I wouldn't call them legends. Right. Because we're not doing an episode on... The Gully Jumpers. The Gully Jumpers, because they or probably... Fiddling Arthur they, Smith. Yeah, after the opera became bigger, I could imagine them being like, ah, this isn't what we wanted. Right, like this has grown maybe beyond Maybe they what? were like, we don't want to be famous. We just want to do this. So, you know, and that's also tip of the cap. If, if, if that's all they wanted was to do it for the passion, not the glory, then, you know, that's also why we don't talk about them. Yeah. So, but the other thing I would say is just the the cultural impact and the the impact it has had through the generations um that it has not just stood the test of time but it has made waves into the future as well from 1925 to now it's not and i think what would make a lot of these things legend still is is the fact that they evolved if it didn't evolve from what it was in 1925 i don't think it stands the test of time no. It doesn't. It's, it wouldn't still be around. I mean, the because biggest... Because a lot of these things that we talk about that were in hundreds and 200 years ago that may still be standing or we at least may still talk about is not just the impact they've made, but the longevity impact they've made. Yeah. That we would still talk about them. If they didn't change, whether it was their dress code, who they allowed in the building, blah, 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 they, they would have disappeared. I'm glad you actually mentioned that in the last um, sentence there, uh, because that's some of the stuff that we're actually going to kind of get into over on the on Patreon? Uh, Patreon cut. Awesome. Into the deeper dive. So, but yeah, I fully agree uh, in terms of one of the, or some of the things that makes the Grand mm-hmm. Ole Opry um, truly a legend. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. it's about time to absolutely. We're going to cut this right now. For our uh, regular listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in. However, as you know, we do with every episode. If you do support us on Patreon, you will stick around with us for the rest of this episode on the Patreon side of things. Um, that is a completely separate thing. So the way that this works out, let me let me give you a little look behind the curtain. Is when you sign up to be a Patreon member, you will automatically receive. A separate RSS feed. You will then put that RSS feed into your platform of choice, whether it be the one the 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 podcast app that comes with an iPhone, Google Play, uh, Pocket Stitch, uh, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. You will put that RSS feed, and any time any audio anything is released on Patreon, it goes straight to your patreon rss feed which will go straight to your platform everyone else that's listening to the basic between the two barrels is not getting that stuff it's not getting deep dives it's not getting longer uncut episodes it's not getting bloopers it's not getting behind the scenes looks of like the studio things going on and they are also not getting discount codes free swag all that fun stuff however you can as a patreon member so go to tldstudio66.com Scroll on over to the support page. 
that'll tell you where and how to become a Patreon member and everything that you can get involved in. So for those that are not Patreon members, thank you for tuning in. We will be back with another episode this Thursday, and we will see the rest of you on Patreon. However, stay kind to yourselves. Stay kind to others. Cheers to you, legends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Between Two Barrels. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information about what's happening with any of the Studio 66 shows, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, click the thumbs up, whatever you have to do to make sure you get your fill of this legendary content. To do so, search Studio 66 on Facebook or Instagram, or the Studio 66 playlist on YouTube from Tennessee Legend Distillery. You can also subscribe to our Patreon channel, patreon.com tldstudio66, for additional content for all of the Studio 66 shows, as well as gifts from the different Studio 66 podcasts and Tennessee Legend Distillery. And if that wasn't enough, you can also visit our website, tldstudio66.com, where you can find links to all of the shows and podcasts, as well as merchandise for all of the individual podcasts, And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. Heck, you can even leave us a voicemail if you like via SpeakPipe or send us an email at tldtube23 at gmail.com. However you go about it, make sure you don't miss out on getting even more legendary info about the studio as well as the distillery from Studio 66, presented by Tennessee Legend Distillery.